You know, we, we don't have to wonder as we turn from the guilt of our sin and as we ask God for forgiveness if he'll forgive us. What we see from the sons of Korah is he's done it in the past. He's done it over and over in so many ways and so many times. And the God who forgives us in the past, we can turn to him and say, restore us again, revive us again. And we can say that day by day with new garments of salvation, the righteousness of Christ clothing us. This message is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Ancient faith for today's world. December 10th, 2023. Psalm 85. Last week we looked at how we come before God confessing our sin and what it means to confess our sin. That is to turn away from sin, the ugliness of sin. We, we spoke of the, the stain on our garments and we turn away from that ugly stain that we are brought ourselves into and we turn to God, looking to him for goodness. Today we continue Maybe not necessarily, if you'll permit me to step away from that theme of a garment for a, a week here, but we're looking at how can we expect good gifts? And with the, the picture of our series, how can we expect and know that he will give us what we need, the covering, the righteousness that we lack? Today we find our answers. We look at Psalm 85, words written by the, the sons of Korah, musicians in the temple for King David and the time after. And there they help us see that we can expect good things from our God. It starts out here with a prayer. And as the psalm prays, it includes a prayer that God did good things in the past, acknowledging really six times over how many times did God really forgive them, 66 times six, over and over and over again, God forgave his people. So these, these six phrases, Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath. You turned from your fierce anger. Just can't be repeated enough. How many ways and how many times God had forgiven his people. And the prayer starts out with that praise to God for his great forgiveness because they knew him as you, Lord, you did this. You, your people, you showed favor. And there's part of the picture. You forgave the iniquity, that is the stain, the guilt of your people, and covered their sins. As we'll see next week, he provides righteous garments of salvation. After the sons of Korah marvel at God's past forgiveness, the prayer goes on because, yes, God has done that in the past. And you've heard the gospel. You've heard how God forgave you and took your sins away. But does that mean things will forever be free from the troubles of sin in this life? Verse 4 reads, Restore us again, God our Savior. Now, the word again actually isn't found there in the Hebrew. But this Bible translation does a pretty good job of bringing that in from the context. Because, God, you've done this over and over and over in the past. So, Lord, again, God, our Savior, restore us. Now, how many times might you find yourself coming to worship, confessing your sin? And then how long is it until you have to recognize you've fallen again? 
you've sinned again. The stain is there, the guilt. Or maybe when you, in your own private place, gather and you pray to God, and you've prayed for forgiveness, and you read of the assurance, you wonder, how long until I stumble again? If you just reflect with me for a moment on Israel's history, you would know and think about many times the times of the judges where they came back to God and he restored them, but then they fell back into sin and he disciplined them. And over and over again, and then the time of the kings. The people served and praised God and it was wonderful and under the time of David and then they rebelled and then times grew bad and then you had good kings like Hezekiah back and forth over and over, generation after generation. They had to say this, restore us again. And we don't know when the sons of Kor might have written this but some suppose it was maybe when the people were in exile. Or maybe when they came back from exile and were trying to bring back the glory of the temple and the city. Or maybe this could be repeated during the time of Christ when the Romans were ruling over them and they might say, restore us again, Lord. Or maybe you might find it during the times when the church was facing great persecution and the truth was shrouded that we might say, restore us again. And over and over again, we need to turn to God looking for his good gifts. And the good gifts that we would ask for are this. God, our Savior, put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Our life can face many pains of sin, many consequences of sin. Many terrible setbacks. So we might wonder, does God's favor fall on us? And maybe if we sin, we might even think that it's part of our guilt and that we don't have God's favor. But here, restore us again is a command. And the question, will you be angry forever? Will you prolong? Will you not revive us? Is an eager expectation. Asking God to bring back his blessing because they know it are, those blessings are his. You know, if you're, if you're struggling in your life with a a pain or a setback, I don't know if it was Israel's exile or you're feeling like you're suffering in a great way, what's the purpose of being restored? Is it so that you can just live a happier life and be more comfortable? Or is it that you, you want to get past the pain and the loss that you're facing so that you can just enjoy life again? It may be true, but the end goal is this, that your people may rejoice in you. When God restores, his people will praise him and rejoice in him. And so the psalmist says, Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. There's no please or maybe, or could you maybe if God, or do I deserve it, God? No, there's, Lord, again, once again, I need your forgiveness. Once again, Lord, I have to turn from my guilt and my pains and turn to you. Once again, Lord, I turn to my God, my Savior, saying, show me your unfailing love. Even though I have shown you my faithlessness, show me your faithfulness. And then the believer's response. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people his saints, but let them not turn to folly. Knowing you are forgiven by God, 
knowing he will forgive you again and again, not seven times in a day, but 77 times and limitless times. His grace abounds, and he will show you his favor, his love, and he will forgive, cover, pardon, cleanse. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. Let us not turn to folly. The Apostle Peter reminded us this morning that since we have God's forgiveness, since we know his righteousness rains down on us, what sort of people ought we to be? We go back to last week. Confession is turning away from our guilt and turning to the mercy of God. And now we get the beautiful picture in Scripture of what God does for those who trust in him. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. You see the the greeting that's taking place between these wonderful things. Love, or sometimes translated unfailing or faithful love, mercy, chesed. Your love and your faithfulness, emet, sometimes also translated truth. Love and truth, love and faithfulness embrace one another. God looks down on us sinners who are looking up to him for forgiveness over and over, and he sends us this gift. Faithfulness and truth and love meet as the Son of God comes down. This wonderful embrace of truth, faithfulness, and love happens as we see God in human flesh. Does God forgive us? Does he forgive us as much as we might expect or need? He sent his son and Jesus in perfect faithfulness, love and truth and righteousness came. And it says, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Sometimes you most might see these with a sinner's perspective as two opposite things. God's righteousness, his holiness and goodness, which we cannot meet, and peace, which we desire. How can we have those two things? They're described here as kissing, that is greeting one another. The righteousness of God and the peace of God are found in Christ, in the flesh, on his cross. As sinners wonder and fathom, Lord, will you be angry forever? We need only look at the cross and there is our righteousness incarnate in the Son of God bringing us peace as he takes our place on the cross. You know, we, we don't have to wonder as we turn from the guilt of our sin and as we ask God for forgiveness if he'll forgive us. What we see from the sons of Korah is he's done it in the past. He's done it over and over in so many ways and so many times. And the God who forgives us in the past, we can turn to him and say, restore us again, revive us again. And we can say that day by day with new garments of salvation, the righteousness of Christ clothing us. The psalm concludes with that picture of faithfulness springing forth from the earth, righteousness looking down from heaven. God sends his word, his gospel. John the Baptist came fulfilling what Isaiah spoke. His garment was quite simple, wasn't it? Camel's hair to give the picture that he's not dependent on what he comes before God with. He comes in lowliness, but God clothes him and all who believe in his righteousness. And love and peace meet together. John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness. That righteousness that springs up comes in the waters of our baptism. 
That righteousness that looks down from heaven is ours as God pours out his Holy Spirit into our hearts. And by his gospel, the proclamation of peace, it meets together with truth in our hearts, in our lives, and it embraces. And we find peace, faithfulness, righteousness, and love, kissing, meeting, and embracing as Jesus gives us himself with his bread, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. Righteousness, it says, goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Our king is coming again. And when he comes again, he will come with garments of salvation. And until he comes again, we know that we can expect to receive his good gifts. The psalm sort of outlines here for us gifts of blessings in this life, but it goes far beyond that. You forgave our iniquity. You covered our sin. You gave us righteousness and peace. God will give us good gifts. He's given us the best gifts through his Son with forgiveness, righteousness, and peace. He continues to pour out his righteousness with gifts through the sacraments, and he will continue to give those good gifts forever because of the grace of his Son. And until we receive those eternal garments, we stand before him looking to receive good gifts forever. Righteousness prepares the way, and the King is coming. Amen.